Hello, my dearest listeners. Legs Malone here, wishing you a very warm and happy hello. Right here at the time for the end of the year, holidays are upon us. I can't believe, again, that 2016 is around the corner. But again, time goes marching on, and so do we. I am thrilled to bring you today the amazing interview I had a few I think by this point it's a few months ago with the amazing Glenn Marla. Glenn is an activist, uh, trans, positive activist, amazing being. He is just one of, he is a beam of sunlight wrapped in a plus-size body that I could just squeeze until the cows come home. He is one of the first people that I wanted to interview for the podcast when we first started this, and I am so pleased to bring you our interview with him today. Just a couple of housekeeping notes before we launch into the interview. Thank you all to those who are giving some money to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate your dollars so much. And again, even if it's just a $5 donation, we just are so grateful because it goes to covering our costs and showing us that you are listening and sending us some love. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say before we launch in. I kind of want to give a little, uh, what's the word, preview of one of our next episodes, which is our first ever panel discussion featuring some of the best and brightest and funniest and sexiest lady comics here in New York City. So stay tuned for that. That, I think, is going to be our first podcast of 2016. All right, guys, let's do this. Uh, Get ready. Go ahead, sit down, pour yourself a, a pour yourself a cup of something delicious, be it hot, be it cold, be it boozy, be it virgin, and get ready for my deeply heartfelt interview with the incredible Glenn Marla. Glenn Marla, the one and only. It is such a treat to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your crazy schedule. To come chat with little old me. Oh, lunch with legs. I mean, <laughs> hello. Uh, no, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I love um, the art of conversation. I love sharing narrative. So wh- how could I say no to that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, I, I have, you're one of the people, when I initially started this podcast, I guess now it's over a year and a half ago, it'll be two years in December, which is crazy, um, I made a list of all the people that I wanted to interview, and you were on that list. Oh, And so, you know, it might have taken me a year and a half <laughs> and change, but it's here you it. are. I'm here. Here you are. Um, how are you? How was your summer? What's shaking? <sighs> I'm good. I was so successful going to the beach this summer, which well is... Well done. Ocean swimming is just it for me. Like, I just... It makes me feel connected I always say like when I swim the ocean people are like what are you doing and I'm like I'm just in the ocean like it's <laughs> I, I identify the ocean as like the one place where I feel small mm. <laughs> and like completely overpowered and lifted and it's so beautiful so my summer was like you know I feel like every summer in New York you're like I'm gonna go to the beach you know and you go like twice and I just like have really 
meant it this year. <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Which is I'm, good. Yeah, and I mean, here now it's still, thankfully, summer is still extended yeah. a tiny bit as we are in uh, technically late September, which is true. I can't really believe, um, but there we go. Um, I hope you can spend some more time at the beach. Hopefully this hot weather continues. Yeah, that's the plan until you can't. <laughs> until, <laughs> until, until the fall. Until ice. Yeah, until... <laughs> right. Yeah, and only the Coney Island Polar Bear Club. Which is so I mean, By the way, have you ever done that? Have I, ever, I have done the dive. The, the big like, New Year's yeah, Day I dunk. Have. <gasps> and I remember it was so funny because my, um, my lady love, she's done it many times. And she's like, come on, you have to do it. Like it's, And so I decided going into it that it, like, I was like, yes, it'll be a cleansing New Year. And I just remember running in jumping in and then like jumping out and it was so cold and so fast that I was like wait I forgot to get cleansed <laughs> like it wasn't what I wa- like it wasn't what I Let's wanted it to be again. and so I like I like did it again because I like wanted wow. the I, you know because I wanted just some like intention that didn't happen in like the first frenzy um so I just like went in went out went in again it was pretty funny but wow how was it the second time in um, you know, it's so cold that unless you're like in it to win it or drunk, like you can't oh stay God. in long. Yeah. Um, so I think the reality of it is it was like slightly less frenzied, but I'm sure not the the cleansing spiritual release that I uh, first intended. Totally. Well, you know, <laughs> cleansing spiritual releases can take all shapes, forms, and characters. Amen. So yeah, I mean, you yeah. always hear. I, I mean, one of my favorite um, things that was told to me back when I was, you know deep in a healing process sort of basically like getting back to me like learning to love myself mm-hmm. and one of my teachers said um, not all growth is comfortable mm-hmm. and not all cleansings are easy but you can also just fill in the blank like Absolutely. not all cleansings are slow and languorous and you know right. deeply nurturing sometimes they're like fast and done and boom yeah just like a whole hit to your body and then you're like oh hey yeah totally um, Totally. Yeah. Same with like a fast birth. Like if you get born fast, like, well, there goes that birth. All right. Well, here I am. <laughs> yeah. I always thought about that when you think about like, you know, development of people and like, you know, things about C-sections and <gasps> just like you're in and then you're out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I do something called rebirthing breath work, which I mm-hmm. don't talk a whole lot about just because it's weird crossing the streams with burlesque and like the healing arts. Absolutely. But um, there's there's an amazing book called Birth and Relationships that talks about how your birth affects all of your relationships in your life because it is your first connection with something outside of the womb. Well, and it was, I, I remember in that uh, Business of Being Born documentary. Oh, yeah, which I've not seen, but I've heard a lot great. about. That's great. You watch Ricky Lake give birth, you know. Wow. Um, but it's also, there's like this doctor who's, I forget his name, he's charismatic, and he talks about how they like performed C-sections on gorillas, and because the, um, because the like, you know, hormone that gets released that tells you to love and take care of your child does not happen with the C-section, the gorillas don't know to take care of oh the baby. And... You know, I, I mean, I know it's different. We're humans. <laughs> like, um, and it probably wasn't that nice to perform C-sections on gorillas. But I thought it was really interesting. That is, I mean, that is proven. I, I, is it oxytocin? or I, It yeah. might be that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the passage through the birth canal activates a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. another thing about C-sections that I've heard um, is that because of the sort of, like, in and out nature of it, the people who are born 
with C-section births can sometimes have a lot of interruptions in their life. That be a, a regular dynamic. I'm a C-section birth. Okay. Um, my, but I also feel like, you know, I think a lot of things are true and flexible. It's like a lot of yes and yes. because I think a lot of studies and opinions about like labor and birth are just like designed to make women feel bad about their bodies and like be, oh, yeah. make women feel like unsuccessful women, which is like not a narrative like even if you don't prescribe to it somehow that enters your life uh, around issues of like reproduction and birth and like so yeah it's something that uh, you know I think I thought about a lot too when I was like reading that in my personality psychology classes and things like that I think I think most things if we could just yes and to them uh, people would get along a lot better isn't that the truth I just recently took an improv class like improv 101 at um, UCB and learning the basics of the yes and philosophy yeah. of improv there's no negation it's just you're you're building and you're developing and you're supporting along with your teammates your teammates right. and like if that could be applied to the world as a whole we would be changed right. forever i remember really like and i studied theater in undergraduate and um the improv you know director he's like there's three rules to improv you know um Say the first thing to, that comes to your mind. Make your uh, partner look good and say yes and. And I was like, what if we all were able to hold each other and support each other like that outside of sketch comedy? Yeah, yeah. What if? Yeah, you know, mind blowing. It is. That <laughs> yeah. would. I mean, my God. Right in there would be the next evolution of the human race if people. <laughs> I truly believe it. Follow you know, the rules of improv. Follow the rules of improv. Exactly. Because what else is life? Yeah. Right. It's, it's a lot of. It's a whole lot of uncertainty, <laughs> a whole lot of doing the first thing that comes to mind. Right. And you then know. moving forward as a result. So I want to go back. You were just talking about um, how you learned in school. You very recently, or maybe not that recently, completed, was it a master's degree? Yeah. I went back to school um, a few years ago, three years ago, um, to become an art therapist. And so... Good on you. Yeah. It's healing arts in its own way and a touch of clinical work and um yeah you know it's funny because I was you know we know each other from it was actually I'll I'll go off track for a second because I was just having um brunch with my friend Dan Fishback who's an amazing playwright playwright and he I was saying oh I'm doing you know legs Malone's uh podcast after this and I was talking about you know it's so funny with legs whenever I see her, I'm like so happy and feel so tender. And I was like, and then the reason came up is because I was like, she had a really close relationship with little John Joseph, who is good friends with both Dan and I. And I, you know, we were, that's how it kind of came together. And I was like, oh yeah, like, you know, it's funny. It's been a long time. I'm like, well, John Joseph can come back. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) Almost. almost, Yeah. I think he's, he can come back. He left in 2008. He can come back in 2018. Yeah, there we go. So So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, so, uh, but that reminded, you know, I was talking about that and then, you know, having the different kind of, I compartmentalize those parts of my life pretty, pretty intentionally, um, for a variety of reasons. But um, I, I always say that I looked at my journal from when I was 17, and I was obviously a very smart 17-year-old because there was <laughs> l- legit an entry that was, um, when I'm 26, 
I will live in New York and be an artist and have so many different lovers. Wow. And then when I'm 50, this was the part that was a little off, I'm going to become an art therapist. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not 50. Right. But, you know, but, like, I think that... 20-some-odd years yeah, ago, really, but... Yeah. Whatevs. Whatevs. <laughs> uh, I just was like, okay, like, that happens. And, um, yeah. How extraordinary to know, to have such a clear sight. Do you have any? Do you, do you remember writing that? Do you remember feeling these things? I mean, I remember being in high school and, like, imagining, you know... I lived in a suburb of Philadelphia and just imagining what that meant to be an artist in New York. And of course, like at the time I was not like, you know, a someone who lived in New York and understood what it meant to like move here and what I was basing those opinions on. But still I had this visioning of like, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like I was someone who wasn't exactly like artistically or identity expression free as a high schooler. And then although had a lot of artistic outlet and then um, I was never felt safe to like understand like my body or my sexuality is something to be desired. So Mm -hmm. I decided at 17 that like, don't worry at 26, you're going to live in New York. You're going to be an artist. You're going to have lots of lovers and it all, it will happen. You know, so that's, you know, Hey, it's, it's amazing to be like, Oh, this is how I, how I made it happen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and also, you know, some of those beautiful quotes that say, like, you may not have any idea what you're doing or how it's all going to happen, but then you look back and everything's on a straight line. Yeah. That I, you created. Yeah. it's. A, I remember, like, um, on Facebook, like, because I changed my name, uh, not a lot of people from my past find me unless it's, like, very intentional. And I remember years ago, one of my camp counselors did. I went to sleepaway camp in the summertime. And, um, and I was a little nervous to like, you know, accept her as a friend because I'm trans and because she knew me when I was young and what if she, you know, like, you know, and then I did accept her as a friend and she messaged me this, her memory of me, um, being like, oh, it's great, you know, to see you. And this is, I, I just remember you in this, in this light. And I was like, Oh, of course no one's surprised I became who I am. <laughs> like, you know, we all get so nervous that people are going to be, like, surprised or freaked out. I'm like, oh, if you knew me when I was 12, you're not surprised. It's okay. Yeah, you know, totally. which, the, the essence never changes. Yeah, so it was that was, like, kind of a cute moment. It made me less nervous about wow. that. Wow. Nostalgia on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, yeah, the whole, like, looking back and looking forward, it is incredible to see, like, especially when one has, I mean, for lack of a better term, pretty radically changed one's identity, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're trans, but I'm even thinking, you know, other trans people, people who, like, go into, like, just straight up want to be a different person. Right, like, go to reinvent themselves, exactly. especially and if like, there's, like, religious trauma or what, you either, like, thank you. Exactly. different things like that. Just yeah. say, like, I want to I wanna become my own person. I'm going to change my name. I'm going to move to this place. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to, yeah. you know, make whatever modification to my physical right. appearance um, to better accommodate who I feel I really am. And, I mean, that's... Actually, mm. it's interesting because I was over brunch just having this conversation with my lady love who grew up in the city and she was saying how she was very much raised by people who came here to reinvent themselves. Mm, like a lot of gay men who, who came to New York to reinvent themselves. But like, what does it mean to be like raised by people who, um, 
I mean, I don't want to put words in it, but it kind of like uh, have no interest in their past in a certain yeah, way or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or are dealing with their past by reinventing themselves or whatever, whatever it was. And then she was like, but I was growing up <laughs> like this was myself, yeah. you know, so it was interesting. Um, yeah, I never, I, I never like, I personally don't align with like the reinvention. Like I felt, I felt it was a very like clear, just getting closer to you. Yeah. Just like a clear line. Like it, it, it very like, I felt the universe took care of me in certain ways like that. Like I was able to, to go to school and study theater. And by that I was exposed to people who taught me that I could make my own work. And then once I got exposed to that, and then I was, you know, it just all in certain ways lined up. Yeah. And not, I mean, it wasn't always graceful, let's be real, but um, yeah. So the, just continuing to become versus um, reinvention is like, I feel like I align a little more with that narrative, but. Yeah, totally. Now, I'd love to hear you speak a bit about how you chose to get your degree in art therapy. Sure. Um, I mean, as. Uh, I was some, my mother was a social worker. And so I think like mental health care, mental health support was not something that was stigmatized in my household, which is not true of everyone. Um, so, you know, like as a teenager with depression, my mom was like, you should go to therapy. And that wasn't like a big deal. Right. Um, and so I was exposed to art therapy. I love it. I loved it for multiple reasons, you know, as, uh, as a young person. And then I obviously was impacted by it in a way that I saw it in my future. Right. <laughs> like, um, but I, I'm so glad I didn't go into it until I was like, had lived a lot, worked a lot of jobs, met a lot of people, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think I was, you know, I was in grad school during my entire sudden return, <laughs> Oh my God. um, which was, was great you know it was great place to hide out yeah and learn a lot and be excited about things um because I think I was getting to a place artistically um where I knew what I loved to do um and I was it was very clearly communicated to me like but this is where your art belongs your your performance art doesn't belong here it belongs in kind of like a gallery setting and I just did not have the pretense it takes to cut it in that world and I don't that's not where I mean that that was what was communicated to me in a way that was like if you want to become lucrative if you want to make a living as an artist if you want to and I just it didn't align with how I could do it. Right. Like I was just like, I, it, it was ruining it for me. And I was like, I just want to have honest artistic interactions. And as an art therapist, I have that every day. And, uh, and then I get, get to also have my, my own art. Um, I wanted to be, you know, part of those Saturn return questionings of like, what am I prioritizing in my life? And I was like, I want to be like a happy artistic person mm -hmm. like and how I'm it's not always communicated to you that that can happen and so I like was very committed to finding a way to make that happen um and use my skill sets and um yeah so that's kind of how I I got to that um I also am someone who's like obsessed with like accessibility and things being accessible to people um with a variety of different like physical, mental, um, you know, 
whatever's going on with their body, like everyone can actually participate in art therapy. Right. It is a healing art form, a healing a healing therapy that I've actually not like anyone can participate in. It can be adjusted for anyone, uh, especially I think as like a fat and trans person, I am very in touch with. Uh, and a gender variant trans person, I'm in touch with the limitations of language mm-hmm. um, very personally. And so I like, I wanted to practice something that wasn't 100% reliant on language. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of where, where it all stemmed from. Wow, it's incredible. I'd also, I mean, I'd love to also take the opportunity to talk about your involvement, you know, both in the trans community, fat positive community, Mm -hmm. because you're such a beam of light. And you are, I mean, it's like when you're saying like how every time you see me, you just like feel happy. And (laughs) and I was like, I'm the same, like (laughs) I see you and it's just like the sun has just risen. Like there's just so much, I have so much love for you, but you have, you are so loved by so many people and everywhere you go, people are always like, Glenn Mala! That's so I think that's so important to hear. Like, I want to, like, hear you say that and accept that, you know, because I think that, like, as as artists, as people, like, we never... I mean, I have a hard time with, like... I would say that's one of my biggest adjustments of being in grad school and also the changes of, like, different downtown art communities is that we bonded in these ways that existed in a time and place in a backstage and, like knowing that these people love me, knowing that I love them, that they're really my friends and that they see me holistically, it's hard to remember when you're not backstage. Yeah. And so that was, you know, a little bit of the isolation I'm sure I needed during that time when I was in grad school, but also it's like, um, wonderful to hear, you know, and like, because I'm fully invested in like the different artistic communities that have like embraced me, invited me in, you know, um, I always, you know, I don't know. I think there was a time where uh, there was a lot more burlesque and performance art overlap. Mm-hmm. And it was it was so lovely because I just have, like, I think, like, sh- I use the word showgirls because <laughs> there's so many other uh, ways to be a showgirl, you know, whether you're a cabaret singer or you're, you're a burlesque dancer. And I'm so influenced by showgirls. My artwork, which... Uh, is very visual as well as text-based is so influenced by showgirls um, and so I always just feel it was so an, uh, such an honor when I'm invited into that world um, to perform mm. with with them um, yeah so I might forget what question we were on because I was thinking about I was, uh, tapping into your involvement and your work oh, with right. the trans and fat positive community yeah I like to use the word um, well trans and fat positive uh, apply as well but um i think like as an artist um i i love being someone who's like creating fat art that's not about weight loss like that feels important and awesome mm-hmm. um and the art is like inherently fat art because that's something visible on my body like mm-hmm. any art i make is going to be fat art like i don't have a choice in that mm-hmm. um so um, but my, it was, you know, and again, I was talking earlier about how, like, the universe collides in a certain way. When I was a freshman in college, I was part of this show that was very, like, women. It was called Where the Women Are. And it was very, like, women I, w- women with different identities telling stories. But what that show taught me, um, 
it's also where the person who directed that show was um, one of them is Heather Ott. She's an amazing performance artist who's been my, you know, friend forever. She's really my family. And what being in that show taught me that was like coming right to New York and learning that you can create your own work. And after that show, we like we toured it. We did it in school. We did it in uh, uh, pregnant and parenting teenage high schools. Like all this, like right when I moved to New York, was just so formative. And after that, I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm. I have to make my own work. Um, and actually, it was Heather who she's quite the activist, and she was like, well, what I know about you know, organizing and activism is that, like, you have to, you don't have to, but it's helpful to find people who you share identity with. And she really, like, kind of, when I was a young person, like, held my hand in, like, meeting fat people. And she took me to a show at, like, Lady Fest um, called Fat Fuck with amazing artists in it from the Bay Area. And it was, that was kind of my entrance into that community. Um... And, I, and my first summer home from college, I was stage managing a show. Like, I couldn't afford to stay in New York. And I was stage managing a show, and it just so happened that this, like, national fat queer conference was, like, five minutes from my hometown. It was, like, in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Oh, my God. And I got, like, a scholarship to perform and Whoa. attend the conference. And would I have gone if it wasn't, like, right down the road and I had to pay for a hotel room and things like that? I don't know. But it, it fully, like, showed me that there was, like, this... I know this still exists today. They just had a conference in the Bay Area. Um, I met so many, like, formative artists, people, lovers, like, through that community. And, yeah, and, it, I mean, it, just to kind of, like, the reason I backplayed it, it was, like, there's no other way that could have happened, right? Like, one thing really led to another, and I was open to, like, being moved by that. Yeah. Um, so that's how I kind of became involved in, like, you know, fat queer community, and also using that language of, like, um, one of my favorite things to think about is I... Uh, Recently, the project I've been working on um, with my lover, which is something I always vowed never to do. Um, but this is the first person I broke it for. So I think the fact, you know, because, you know, when you make those big artistic projects with, or tours with someone you're having sex with or in a relationship with, and it's like, you just see it mess all over with that. Yeah. Um, and I always was like, I'm never going to do that. I'm a solo performance artist, keyword solo. But, of course, you know... Um, I flexed that a little bit, and it, the play is called My Wife's Ass, and, you know, it's definitely still a work in progress, but it's... Um, it's a great title. <laughs> thanks. And the language that we use, like, when talking about it is it's, like, it's it's not a play, it's a play about kind of fat imagination, mm. um, and a lot of other things, but for me, I feel, I call fat imagination the ability to like to really think about with different like marginalized populations whether you're fat trans person of color like whatever it is when you are very clearly communicated to by the world that like your body and identity um are not of value do not deserve to be loved um are bad the amount of amazing imagination it takes to actually like get dressed in a way you like and leave the house mm. So that this idea that like fat imagination is a part of my life, you know, and um, I love that was kind of like a term we had come up with 
together and it was you know so yeah wow that's incredible i i yeah i, I look forward to seeing this <laughs> i'm i'm really interested also um i mean given how much language has meant to you and also mm. the now more than ever i mean my window into different um ways of using language to communicate um you know different life choices i don't know what the right way of saying mm. that is or different life expressions i should yeah. say um was through the queer community and mm. then secondarily through the polyamory community i'm mm -hmm. not poly but I am blown away by how many words they use and how many words they create to express. Because you need to create them. it, and then it's you like have crazy. To create language. Yeah, and uh, and it's, it's still limiting. Absolutely, yeah. You know, which totally. is like, um, but yeah, it's empowering to create it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, and, and it's also essential. I mean, if we're going to create context in order for everybody to understand each other, mm -hmm. like words are going to be the entry point. Right. Um, but I do also agree, like, there's this quote that was once on my, like, Zen a day calendar that my mom got me for Christmas, like, <laughs> 14,000 years ago. Uh -huh. And it, the quote was, once you define something, you kill it. Yeah. And I think to a point, yes, that is true, but there also has to be, you know, from a, from a societal standpoint, mm -hmm. like, there are brand new expressions of life and of self that would be unimaginable you know, a hundred years ago, even right. 25 years ago, like, you know, apart from, you know, the coasts, but like, say like you grew up in the middle of nowhere, right. you know, like Iowa or Missouri, you know, it's like you're on like a goat farm right. and there's, there's no context for that. But whereas now, thank God for all the activism and all of the really vocal people who say, Hey, notice us, we're here, right. you know, and acknowledge us. And, you know, and like for me, like you know, whether it's it's fat positivity or other like or trans justice or just you know, for me, I wrap that up in in a term I use called body liberation, because mm. to me, body liberation is the extremely radical notion that all people have with bodies, you know, um, deserve both respect and pleasure. And what I love about mm. that is because whenever you're someone who makes fat art, someone tries to come and talk to you uh, about, like, statistics or health or things like that. And I'm actually, like, if you believe that, um, like, fat is bad and unhealthy, um, like, I'm not going to actually have that fight with you, right? Because you have, like, a multi-billion dollar industry supporting you in that. Like, you're not alone in that opinion. Mm -hmm. So, like, I actually, as I get older, I'm, like, not really willing to engage that because I believe, because what if, let's say everything you think about fat um, or trans people is a, all the bad things you think, you know, not you, the world thinks about fat people or fat trans people or whatever um, is actually a, every worst horrible thing is true in my body. I actually still think I deserve pleasure and respect. You know? Agreed. So it's like, to me, I'm like, the conversation's done. Like, I, you know, I'm not fighting with you about, like, that. Right. <laughs> Which I think is so much of the tension when you're someone who creates fat art. It's, like, very, like, wait, but are you promoting this? I'm like, just having a body. What's up? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
And, you know, and we, we actually address that in the show a little bit too. This, like, I think one of the hardest things is that when, when you are fat, people make the assumption that, like, you don't care about your body, which is, like, kind of heartbreaking because I actually, like, spend a lot of time in care mm-hmm. for my body. Like, I actually care about a lot. So, like, the, you know, that is, that's hard understandable my god yeah you know because that's the the place that we're like taught to come from but yeah and yeah i also like body liberation as a term like for trans stuff too because i think a lot of the narratives of of trans people are very like i felt i was in the wrong body and and that's true for some people um or you know, I did this, and I finally became me, and I finally became free. And I just, so I think that's really harmful <laughs> sometimes because it's, you know, it's also very isolating because I think when you hear those those dialogues of how to how to have a trans body, right? Like that's showed to you in media or online or through community. Like, I think it is kind of neglecting the fact that having a body is like really hard for a lot of people (laughs) like like it's again I think what we we kind of talked about in the beginning of the conversation it's like why can't the yes and be applied to like all of these conversations and all this language like particularly around language like you know there's just you know I hear a lot of people you know really being stressed out about language that uh, maybe an older artist used uh, in regards to a queer thing and you know why can't it be like Yes, that language is offensive to you and in general, and you know that doesn't make that artist not legendary or con- like contributor to a lot of things. Um, and, I mean, even now, like I work with young young um, LGBT folks, and they like I love the word queer, and they don't like it. Really? Yeah. Why not? You know, they heard it's a bad word or, you know, things like that. Or even like when I was kind of coming up, it, people, you know, threw the word like fag around a lot. And uh, I'm hearing a little less of that. So yeah. I think, you know, it's something that changes. But there's a lot of not yes and <laughs> approach yeah. to it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And also, I mean, speaking of the rapid shift of language and what's acceptable within communities, I mean, the whole um, scandal I had, or uproar when... Um, on RuPaul's Drag Race when, you know, the use of the word tranny, of the word, Mm -hmm. you know, she-male, all of that, and watching the discussion pop up online, both from the old guard and the younger generations, was an incredible thing, uh, just an incredible conversation to witness. Yeah, my my friend calls it something funny, because it was a moment online where it was like, and everyone wrote their opinion piece, like, uh, about why training's okay, and everyone wrote their opinion piece about why it's not okay, and, yeah, I mean, and I definitely, um, using the word tranny for myself was something that, like, I definitely felt comfortable with for a really long time, and I've talked to a variety of my trans friends with that, and, um, like, I personally am not, I'm not interested in using, like, language that represents something like hurtful to people or or even if people like you know politely you know ask me not to do that (laughs) like I feel like I have a flexibility in that and I understood like it was like interesting there was like a moment where it was a really oh yeah yeah I feel like it's you know kind of you know I think it's you know sometimes when you feel like your language is being policed I mean what I witnessed happening is that like 
people of an older generation, you know, found their language being policed by folks of a younger generation, and they really resented that. And then it was just this constant, like, head clashing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, as a spectator, um, it was an incredible thing to witness, because, especially when, like, some of the older uh, members of the community were coming out, like Jane County, Lady Bunny... You know, all you Kate Bornstein. Out. Yes, thank like, you, Kate Bornstein. Yeah. Um, and the ones who I felt made the most effective statements were the ones that were coming from a place of inclusivity and yeah. saying, like, like, oh, younger yeah. ones, like, cool your jets a little and yeah. understand that this is part of a history. Yes, it has changed a bit, but we need to be supporting each other and not policing each other because we need to stand together and move forward if we're going to be recognized. Right. And, and for all the energy that went in, like, you know, I wasn't, like, a huge participant in that, but I'm kind of curious of all the energy that went into these Facebook conversations, uh, like, what work could have been done to support the violence against, like, support, you know, uh, trans women of color who are dealing with an insane amount of violence and having that word thrown on them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, in, in that time, in that, you know, stress you felt from the conversation, like what energy could have been, you know, put into caring for folks you're trying to end oppression of. And, um, you know, cause that's, that was what I, you know, I heard a lot of like, people just like talking past each other. I heard a lot yeah. of young people um, being like, you can't say this word. It's uh, it's oppressive and really violent against, um, you know, the most vulnerable of our community uh, and the violence that like trans women of color face. And then I <laughs> watched a lot of older people uh, say, you know, you don't know what I've been through to get to use this language. You don't know how this language forms the communities I'm involved in. And it was like no one was addressing each other's reality. Yeah. Or, you know, um, it was very like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. It's, it's pretty frustrating, <laughs> you know, to, to observe. And and I I felt also, you know, I felt also as a spectator in it in the way that, like, I really saw where, like, you know, people would ask me, like, you know, what do you think about it? And I would say, oh, well, I'm not really, you know, interested in using language for, for myself. Um, that is, you know, upsetting and triggering to people. Um, but I also, like, hear where everyone's coming from, you know? Uh, so it's kind of was my stance on the matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Now, speaking to your work with LGBT youth, Gosh, I mean, what, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine, especially if they're not at home, if they've felt either have chosen to leave or have mm -hmm. been forced out, um, what they're up against generally in life. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that, you know, the average person walking down the street might not know about this community? Right. I mean, one thing that, like, I feel like in mental health settings, a lot of times the word, like, population is thrown around or community so when we like take lgbtq youth um as a as a whole we're not like actually um 
we're not allowing space for like the intersections mm-hmm. of other identities mm-hmm. because you know one there's tons of LGBTQ youth in the city who are out and cared for and um, and then there are also many who like disproportionately deal with suicidality and homelessness and um, you know so I just I always like whenever anyone's using like this type of population or this type of community community like I always try and be like when I use the term LGBTQ population I'm actually communicating nothing mm. you know <laughs> in a certain way mm-hmm. there's so little that's actually being communicated um, but um, yeah I think that a lot of the LGBTQ youth that are the most vulnerable are um, people who've been through a variety of like you know a lot of times there's this like kind of like dialogue for fundraising of like I've been kicked out of my house and like that's really true but also many were raised through foster care systems in really traumatic ways as many young people are yeah yeah. so I don't know I'm like I can't tell if I'm like resistant because I'm like am I supposed to be talking about that (laughs) or like I'm not resistant I just you know I think they face I think young people growing up without, you know, support and a variety of privileges face a lot of different trouble and that can be enhanced with different identities coming into play and safety and yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel really like honored to get to do the work I do as an, as an art therapist. Um, yeah. Within the within those communities, is nothing short of sacred. I imagine. I mean, yeah. for them to just play and explore yeah. and and address and, safe environment and, and address, you yeah. know, um, yeah. So I I feel yeah I, I feel glad about that. I'm like, wait, I feel good about that. That's cool. That <laughs> is cool. Yeah, you know, it was it was interesting because I was in my first year. Um, uh, art therapy like internship was with older adults and I love working with older adults um and then my second year I was like you know within the there's um in hospital settings there's this like art therapy work is kind of like legitimized in a way that it's not always legitimized in other spaces mostly because of funding streams and things like that and so I was like oh I guess I should work in a hospital setting and a mentor of mine was like um Glenn can I ask you a question <laughs> do you want to work at a hospital and I just, there is just something about, there's a formality in hospital employees that I just, I was like, oh my God, thank you for asking me that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I actually think it would, it would kind of crumble me. Yeah. Like, you know, even from like what I'd have to wear and stuff like that. So I'm very yeah, glad. Yeah, the procedures. Yeah. Lots and lots of procedures and sort of clinical exactness. Yeah. I just w- don't know that I would have thrived in that setting. So I was glad that I kind of ended up. In, in the setting I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. I actually very briefly when I was in high school interned for a in a creative arts therapy department in a hospital. Okay. Um and I was a creative arts therapy assistant. I wasn't allowed in on the art therapy. Okay. Um but yeah, and it was in a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So, you know, working with people who were going through some really heavy stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I have friends and amazing and colleagues who work um in uh, in child life and uh, like art therapy for 
for young children in hospitals as well as uh, inpatient psych and as well as hospice care. Um, and I, it's like I, I want to do all that work, but I don't want to be in a hospital. Totally. You know, like... Hey, I don't blame you. Yeah, no, so... No, absolutely. Yeah. The clinical setting as opposed to a more yeah. laid-back... Yeah. I mean, it definitely do, like, uh, counseling work, but also do, like, group work, and so there's a little flexibility in that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I want to... I, I love how, um, how you explain, you know, how your issue with the words community and population. I want to just... I'm, I am fascinated by language, and yeah. one of the things that I find, I have so many friends who ha- are so unique and are all, just have so many different expressions of themselves that I, that are not necessarily present in my life, apart mm-hmm. from just beaming love and light <laughs> and just being themselves who they mm-hmm. are, but one of the things that I get really tripped up on is language because I am terrified, as many people are, I'm sure, of of saying things wrong or offending people. And I I just, I really appreciate what a positive light you hold with this and being willing to be like, I have, I take issue, you know, with these words. And I mean, I just, I just want to say like, from one human being to another, like, thank you for being really sweet about it. Because I don't, Um, because I, of course, like as like a young person entering like activist communities, I was terrified too. And I was like, what if we didn't have to feel terrified? (laughs) You know, like that would be awesome. Because I don't think it's necessary. I think it's okay. They like are many ways to be like, I'm going to be respectful of language and identity and intersectionality and all of those things. And it's like, one, it's not the same from, you know, participant to participant, you know, and yeah, I, I never want, I mean, I think also for me, like as a, as a trans identified trans masculine person who's, you know, gender variant, um, and gender nonconforming, I, you know, if people ask my preferred pronoun, I say he or they is my preference. But I'm never insulted by she. I, like, I, and that's something new. As a younger person, I was, like, a little more, like, uptight about it, and I needed that at the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I want, like, at least within my identities, I, I want there to be room, right? Yeah. Um, and I know not everyone has, like, not everyone wants that room. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, it is kind of wild to think about what if people weren't scared. Like, what if we trusted each other enough to say, oh, I can say something that doesn't align with you, and I can trust myself to say, oh, by the way, I prefer this. And, you know, I know that there's other, you know, feelings and things wrapped up in it all, but it would be, like, totally amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, when I am met with... Um, you know, if I've used incorrect terminology, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, sort of like flashed with, you know, th- that person's anger or, you know, or even just like me feeling fear, like when like mm. people are putting out some really intense psychic energy. Um, and I get it, like, I, I have no idea where they're coming from. They may need to have fought tooth and nail to be alive today. Mm-hmm. You know, so of course, some, a misstep is going to be really triggering for them. Um, but it has, it's definitely instilled a deep, 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 like, oh my God. Right. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. What if we could right. all just be like, okay, cool, and I'm it's, learning. And it's interesting because as someone who 
like, you know, I think a lot of performers have a lot of, and a lot of different people have um, a lot of, like, baggage around being, like, too much. Yeah. And so um, I think, like, definitely as a performer, a fat person, a trans person, I definitely have baggage about uh, being too much. And I remember in grad school, like, that energy you talked about of, like, not wanting to mess it up. And I had this one professor who just, like, what what's hard about that is, like, I got that they didn't want to mess it up, but I could read that on them. Like, the, the fact that, like... They were terrified. They looked so nervous. And for me, that rubbed up against, like, you're terrified of my body. You're ter- you make me feel like I'm too uh, much. And, yeah. like, so, like, what it, what work has to be done for that intention to, you know, that, like, not want to mess it up intention be, like, like, does that stem from, like, internalized phobias or... Uh, different things. I have no idea, but like, what need what needs to be done for for it not to like be so visible? Because I remember being like, just feeling like so many of my professors were scared of me. Wow. And I think I was like particularly annoyed about it because, you know, as someone who was in grad school, you know, once I was thirty, I was prepared. Like I, I was not naive. Like, I didn't think my body's narrative was going to be included in the history of personality psychology. I did not have that expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I wanted to integrate and learn. And as a younger person, I'm sure I would have came in and been like, this is fucked up. Blah, 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 blah. But, like, that wasn't the place I was in. Mm-hmm. And it was as almost if they were wanting or expecting to interact with that place, mm-hmm. you know. So it was like, that was something that was pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, let's be real. I've, like spent my all my whole 20s around like freaks and all types of queer people and you know just completely in a weird like sex positive body positive performance bubble land and then I was like I'm gonna go be a therapist <laughs> see how that goes <laughs> undoubtedly though I mean your your um your experience you know with the what could just be termed as positive people, um, you know, for certainly life-affirming, self-affirming people, mm-hmm. I imagine will feed you extremely uh, yeah. well as a therapist. I mean, just to have that space of acceptance and compassion and also on a level recognition for some of the people who might be coming in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would imagine that to be an extraordinary asset. Uh, thank you. I think it is. I actually ended up surprisingly so doing my research um in in art therapy in order to get your license like they were like wait there's not enough research in our field i know what i'll do i'll make you have to do research to get your license (laughs) so i I did do like a full research study and thesis and um i actually kind of focused on um sex positivity like in clinical settings and um how art therapy can be used as a tool to communicate about sex, sexuality, and desire among sexually marginalized individuals. And, like, I was, I would never, if you asked me going into grad school, if that's what I would, like, focus my area of study on um, or my research on, I don't know that I would have told you, but it was one of, like I said, I didn't go into these things naive, um, but it was one of the things I did actually go into naive. I remember Mm -hmm. just, like, being at my first year placement and being, like, no one talks about sex. And they get so uncomfortable when the part the clients talk about like I just didn't like it was so weird like and I thought a lot about of like the metaphor of just like 
leaving out our basket of condoms and like then your job's done Mm -hmm. and it was just so you know I don't need to go further into that but um yeah like definitely I, I think I like uh when I did the acknowledgement in my thesis I think the language I used was like I'd like to thank radical queers uh like performance freaks or something and leather dykes for teaching me about, you know, uh, body liberation, feminism, sex positivity. Um, because it's true. Like, so formative, all of those people, and, like, me being able to do that and communicate that and be a practitioner who can, can you know, align myself with those, those um, ideologies. I'm using like I'm like whoa I just like slipped into like a grad school talk. <laughs> Let's talk about glitter now. Uh, yeah. So. So here's a question: If you were to write a journal mm-hmm. right now and uh, name what you're going to be doing when you are 50, 60, 75 <laughs> yeah, years old, what would you write? Um. I'm trying to, like, use it in my 16-year-old voice. And I was like, <laughs> when you're 26, you're going to be doing this and that. Um, I, you know, it's, it's such an interesting question because I feel like I'm very actively trying to, like, integrate my my love of of theater and performance into my current life not integrate but have both and I've mm-hmm. said I, I can have both I just have kind of had relationships to them separately mm-hmm. and you know all the different ways I'm, I'm like trying to host more make my own work and like just all different things so I want to and part of that is deciding like you know, when you go into a field and it's a small th- field, art therapy is a, a small field, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to decide like, well, should I be a well-known art therapist? Should I present in my field? Should I publish in my field? Or that energy that could go there, should I make sure I'm, you know, nourishing all of my like artistic sides? So I'm really in a place of like trying to find the balance of that. So I would imagine that entry would be like, when I'm 60, I <laughs> imagine myself like just overwhelmed with beautiful fabric doing amazing, authentic, artistic work. I love it. it. Done and done. I love it. Yeah, totally done. Done and done. done. Yeah, no, happy. Yeah, I I have a lot of visions of, I've always like, my older self had a lot of visions of fabric. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Glenn Marlin interior designs. Uh, I don't know if I think of that, but (laughs) just drape, drapery. (laughs) I always think about that in regards to my gender, because I'm like, am I like, I was kind of obsessed with like, kooky art therapist fashion, like, Oh it's like so many dolman sleeves and like shrouds and and I love that in a certain way and I was like how can I access that and feel so feel affirmed in my gender and I was like maybe when I'm old I'll just be draped in fabric wearing clogs and who says I can't have that right now absolutely <laughs> um yeah 
Oh yeah, I can see so. many, many <laughs> yeah. layers of yeah. drapes and swaths and <laughs> so we'll see. That 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 feels right. I like that. I like that very much. I support you in realizing Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to have you back in twenty five <laughs> years. years so. like, <laughs> like, so how's the draper going? <laughs> going? Good, I love my clogs. <laughs> my, man, my man clogs. Are they ergonomic enough for <laughs> you? Yeah, right. Oh Lord. <laughs> Um, I am, I'm looking at the time. It's amazing. We have already managed to speak for 53 minutes. Wow. Impressive. Um, I love conversation. I know. Well, you're good at it. Oh, thank Um, you. I would love to use our remaining time to provide, for lack of a better term, just a platform. Um, If there's anything that you would like to express about anything that we've spoken about, if you want to use this as like a microphone or a megaphone to people that you might not otherwise be able to connect with about anything yeah. we've spoken about, but in specific, I really like because um, of your trans and fat positive self identification, I feel like that would have the deepest yeah. resonance for you. But anything that we've spoken about, I would love. Just to like just offer you to... the opportunity, yeah. Oh, Imagine this you. as your as your cybernetic soapbox. Oh wow! I don't know. I've never been so great at the soapbox. So I'm kind of bad at telling people like what to do and believe. I feel like that's a process getting there. But I appreciate the space, and I'm like, see, I'm like going into my soapbox. Voice. Totally. Um, <laughs> and I. You know, it's interesting because I mentioned prior, as a fan of your podcast, I wasn't, like, nervous coming because I knew we would just talk and whatever yeah. will be, will be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, I, and I like the opportunity to, to talk about, like, my personal perspective of, like, relationship to being a fat artist and being a trans artist and, uh, you know... And, and getting to perform in spaces that are not specific to, to that. Uh, you know, I want to be like, hire fat people, hire trans people. Um, uh, that feels important. And, I, you know, and also as I get older, I've been doing a lot of thinking about how, like, in my, in my body, I don't always feel like I have... I don't think fat people get the privilege of having a gender. Mm. Um, I uh, There's a article that Katie Lebesco, who is an amazing fat academic, wrote about, kind of just about how fat bodies are inherently queer bodies. Um, and I think through performance, I've been allotted the privilege of gender, mm. um, which is not given to me in the world. Right. Because a lot of times we just gender people subconsciously because we're like, are you someone I'm eligible to like fuck or, you yeah. know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that fat people are always given that opportunity. Um, and I've had a lot of gender <laughs> in my life and uh, I'm in a good place with that. Um, so that's something I've been I don't know if it gets a soapbox thing, but it's something I've been thinking about recently. Um, and. You know, yeah, I'm like, what else? I'm like, I've been thinking about the beach. I've been thinking about art. But, um, and, you know, I think, like, uh, like actually, my um, friend who, unfortunately, we lost this year, I got this from her when she would run groups with people. She would say, like, two most important ground rule- rules are uh, 
be opened and be open and be kind. Mm. And I just like, you know, when I like, like endure like street harassment, one of the first things I think is not why is that person noticing or attacking my body? One of the first things I think is why would you spend time being mean to me today? <laughs> like, you know, um, so I like, you know, I, I think about that as really important. Like be, be open to a variety of, of opinions and, um, identities and situations and, and to be kind is like super important. <laughs> um, you know, we're talking about all these things with improv and facilitation of groups and things like that. And I'm like, let's apply these ground rules to life. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And <clears throat> try and feel like privileged in like the work I get to do as an artist and as a, as a, as an artist and an art therapist and, and also recognize the privilege that I have that allowed that, that made that, you know, made me be open to the universe connecting in those ways, right? You know, um, so I try and do that work as, as well. And it's always work, you know, not, and that, that's not bad, you know, like right. this this being a person and <laughs> thing. It's always work. It's kind of a contrived thing to say, but it's it's good. It's important if you stop putting that work in. I would imagine that's tough. Uh, makes makes the living tough. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's, a good soapbox ending, but it's no, what hey, I got. but you know what? It's yours. Yeah, it's that's mine. It's, like, it's I just like a bachelor, like, don't be a bad person. Don't, you know, like, well, I mean, work on your racism, classism, fat phobia, and, you know, <laughs> try and make more accessible spaces. Okay, but, and, you know, like, I like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, people have to find that, you know, yeah, and I, I would love to be, you know, through art, through conversation through work to to inspire that if I get to do that a little bit that's fantastic yeah, yeah. totally um, is there anywhere on the internet people can read your writings check you uh, out yeah um, I'm praying you have a tumblr I don't have a tumblr I have an Instagram <laughs> amazing which I enjoy because I feel like Instagram's a safe space to um, put selfies where I feel like less safe in uh, the like Facebook, Facebook setting. Yeah. Like people are waiting to judge me. So Glenn Marla uh, has a has a Facebook and Instagram, um, and uh, I have I'm like embarrassed. I have like an insanely outdated website that has like a tour from 2007 on it oh or something. God. No, I mean it's like I don't know if it's that. It's really bad. But if you're interested in checking it out and encouraging me to update it, <laughs> uh, there's uh, MrMarla.com. Oh, God, it's, it's really bad, y'all. <laughs> like, I'm not the most tech savvy. I made the mistake of, um, here's advice. When you're not someone who's incredibly tech savvy and you want a website because that's what you do as an artist, don't have someone you're dating make it. Because then you won't have all the passwords and you won't know when it's going to expire. And then people will be selling sneakers on it. <laughs> so that's just a little extra advice for all those listeners out here. Noted. Um, so, but anyway, MrMarla.com exists. And maybe now I'll go home and edit something. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also just like, um, I'm like, email me whatever, like glenn.marla at gmail and inspire me, ask me questions, um, book me to host your shows. I just hosted a show and I had so much, f 
friggin' fun. And I think because in the past few years, my work has not um, been as part, uh, like when I'm doing more text, I'm doing more theater work. Um, it hasn't like existed in uh, the burlesque community. I still love and feel aligned with that community. And I would love to work as a host more. Um, and <laughs> someone said something really funny actually earlier today. They were like talking about, I, I'm not trying to be shady on your podcast, but they were talking about someone's hosting and they were like, and they're a man. And I just think no man should ever host. <laughs> so I'll be a good in-betweener for you. Uh, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, feel free to, I'm a pretty accessible artist. One of my favorite things when you ask this question is, you know, the different artists like relationship to that. Cause some, you know, artists will come on and they'll be like, yes, you can, this is my website, my press kit, my blah, blah, blah. And I love some, like, my old school queens that I love, that I live for, come on and be like, no, I don't have a website, just email me. Totally. My favorite. So I'm a little, a little both. A little both. Yeah. I like that. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for taking time out of your mad beautiful schedule. <laughs> oh, thank you for come. having me. Yeah, I can't, I, I would love to have you back. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds great. That sounds great. I love to have conversations. Well, you're good at it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. There you have it, folks, my interview with Glenn Marla. Go ahead and find out a little bit more about Glenn on his website at mrmarla.com. That's spelled M-I-S-T-E-R-M-A-R-L-A.com. Follow him on Twitter, befriend him on Facebook, and definitely just watch out for him, would you? He's a force, a loving, amazing force to be reckoned with. All right, guys, there you have it. Here's to a beautiful end of the year. Here's to a brand new, amazing year and to all of our dreams coming true. Huge love to you guys, and I will see you on the flip side. Big kiss, big love, big hug. Bye. <laughs>